Welcome back, Clarice, to the Something Positive for Positive People podcast. This feels like such a cool way to really um, model what I'm talking about, being back on a show. So anybody who listens, it's like, listen to the first episode and then listen to what I'm about to say. It's so cool. Yeah, this is a perfect entry point into that because you did this awesome speech recently and I'll let you go into the details about it what it's titled and everything because I'll completely butcher it and you were also on an episode of something positive for positive people very early on and we talked about your relationship to your father which is an element of the speech and we talked about your positive diagnosis with herpes so I'll just let you talk and you can tell us about this engagement that you had where you fucking killed shit thank you so much um totally yeah it's crazy um i really um it's just so beautiful when we witness what's happening inside of herpes like when we can you know do our emotional work or like process what's happening or kind of um look at it instead of hide it or avoid it Back then, I mean, this was what, like maybe two years ago, I think, when we had that first episode. Back then, I was really just marveling in, like, because I shared with my dad, you know, I was creating such vulnerability, and that stood out to me. And I was creating such a deeper connection with my dad, which I never had because he was a well, high-functioning alcoholic, according to him, but he doesn't like to be called an alcoholic. So he enjoys drinking in his pastime. Uh, favorite hobby and um it's like I just kept challenging like how can I continue to let this evolve and continue to work this um and wanting more from it so I there was a local women's summit for 300 women and they had 60 applicants for this speaking um like six positions and I applied because I'm like I need to get up there and talk about herpes I need to talk about the stigma dismantling it I need to talk about how it's not just herpes like there's shame involved and it's not just about the shame of herpes it's like how it's attached to our identity your worth if we can really pinpoint it so far back so my speech originally was like i'm just gonna get up there and talk about herpes but when you look at the numbers and you know i'm sure by the time you listen the numbers may be totally different at this point but it's like if you're testing 100 people maybe 13 have it because they know they have signs and symptoms and there's probably 53 of them that don't know that they have it but they're asymptomatic and when you're looking at a room of 300 people that's like only 36 people I was talking to so that really made me challenge myself of like okay how can I like really look at this in a different way and I really got introspective and found out it was so intense for me because you know I was raised in a Catholic family and sinning was a big like emphasis a big shamey thing you better not sin and having sex before marriage is a giant sin so it's kind of like being a young teenager having a father who you made up that um liked drinking more than they liked you or whatever right um and then you get to see like oh because you have that disconnect with your father you try to find it in partnerships and relationships and because you think that that's your life purpose because no one ever tells you like hey figure out what your life purpose is they just ask you hey what do you want your career to be you know what do you want to be when you grow up um that it's actually attached to like our childhood you know so if i feel shameful because i'm sinning because i'm having sex 
that becomes like the more we shame ourselves, the more we feel wrong, right? Shame is when we feel inherently wrong for doing or having our own humanity. And the speech really just takes you through the journey of like, how can you hear yourself in that? How can you see that it's not just about herpes? It's really if your identity is your sexuality or if your identity is attached to finding the one that's your life purpose and you get this thing that's this huge roadblock of actually making that happen emotionally that becomes so significant and that becomes the barrier we really have to dissect and get to know and grow in that like emotional intelligent kind of capacity i really like what you said about that being our identity we do have a strong sense of self connected with our sexuality and when we receive a positive diagnosis it completely rocks our world and you begin to examine that a little bit deeper and it does root down in how we were raised how we were programmed to perceive our sexuality and in your case it almost sounds like your sexuality was listening to the speech i mean it sounds like your sexuality was supposed to have been a gift to your significant other yeah i think that that's a huge piece thanks for pulling pulling that forward because it's like if you don't have a high sense of confidence right like i think maybe because i my dad told me to shut up and sit down one too many times during a football game or during a movie. You you make that up. Like kids make things up, right? We don't know any different. You make that mean like I'm not worthy enough of his attention. And he does that enough times, you really start to believe like I'm not worthy of attention everywhere. And I think that that we don't take that into consideration because it's so herpes itself is so stigmatic. And I was like, well, I started to get attention, right? As a teenager, you're like, oh, boys are noticing me. Okay, right? Like, then you are then you start to, like, bunny ear that for later. Like, oh, oh, okay. I got this superpower. Super oh, okay. <laughs> what am I going to do with this? Um, and that's where you start to build that confidence. And then you start to think, like, oh, I got this carrot I can dangle. And that becomes, like, what, like, this is what I can do. Because it's how we notice it. Because it's, like, the direct like validation if you can take the man home or sleep with him or get a good like that was a great night or whatever um but it's like if we broaden our like ability to see like the bigger picture it's like we actually get and are really great at other things we just don't get that instant gratification and so I made it mean that like the only thing I had to offer was good sex like I made it mean that sex was transactional oh, you went and took me to a nice dinner, bought me some drinks, like, I guess I can repay you with uh, sex. And so when that's taken away, you're kind of like, well, now what do I have to offer? And then I realized this is actually a gift because we have so much to offer. And when that's taken away, it's kind of like you have to create or notice or witness, like, what else are the other really great things? What else? So what we're saying here is that rather than attaching our identity to one thing, which is our sexuality and it being as transactional as it is for some people, we begin to notice other elements of ourselves that we can more accurately identify as. What were some of the things for you after you began to recognize 
all right, I'm so strongly attached to my sexual identity. When you begin to look away from that, what, what else was there for you? Um, I think at first, I mean, and I don't want to play this up. Like I want to be super real. Like when I got diagnosed, I was devastated just like the rest of us. And I stayed in the marriage and marriage. I keep saying that. I said that on stage and I was like, I was never married. <laughs> Hopefully I can edit that part out. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> um, I stayed in the relationship that I was in because I felt like, who the fuck is going to want me next? You know, like nobody's going to want this. Um, so people that do that, like I want to be real. Like that was part of my thing to it. Which is interesting because you just mentioned being able to bunny ear having this superpower now in your sexuality and all of a sudden your diagnosis devastates you so much to where your superpower now has become a thing where you look at it as no one's gonna want this now i have to only be this super human to this one person that i'm with right and i think and i can't emphasize it enough like this is why I wholeheartedly, like, emotional intelligence pulled me through this experience. And I say that because emotional intelligence is, like, understanding and really getting intimate and, and picking apart your emotions. So it's, like, if I feel like I have this thing, right, this virus, this contagious, contagious, poisonous thing, right, like, my people pleaser is, like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to give it to anybody else. Like, this thing really sucks, you know? And... It's also the, like, empathetic of, like, well, I know how hard this is for me. I really wouldn't want to give this to somebody else. You know, you really just start to, like, have this fear of, like, doing this to someone else or, like, giving this to someone else. And back then it was, like, so intense because I was still struggling with it. Now, I mean, we're talking, like, years later. I'm, like, herpes was such a gift to me because it forced me to figure out, like, who I was without it being attached to anything. So your original question was like, how do we, you know, if I'm, if my sexuality is attached to my identity and then that's ripped away, then what? And I think that that was where I was like free falling because I just didn't, ah, well, ah, I don't know, you know, like, and then I was a waitress at the time. So I went to the restaurant and every time I got a less than 20%, it was like, I didn't do good. I wasn't a good enough server. Right. And then you start to notice like, whoa, I'm making my tips mean uh, am I good enough? And then you start to look around and you're like, oh, well, my friends don't call me on a Friday, Saturday night. And then I started to make it mean like, I'm not good enough for my friends. They don't even want to hang out with me. But I didn't know that like, I'm not a drinker. So my friends want to go drinking and they know that, that I don't like it. So that's why they didn't invite me. But we start to like grasp at things to find like, oh, maybe this is where my identity is attached to. I'm a good time. Or maybe this is, I'm good at being of service in a tip. And that's how, and when you start to realize like that isn't it either, you're kind of like, well, now what? What I think happens is we're told what to do at such a young age. And in your case, it was get married, have kids, have a family, blah, blah, blah. And now again, reattaching our identity to who we are as a sexual person or our sexuality being so interconnected with our identity, when you felt that that was taken away from you, you didn't have any sense of direction. You weren't told, 
where else to go or where else your value was. So you had to go all of these different directions in order to decide what fit your identity. And in that, you had to align yourself with what was true to you. So it's almost like one of those games where the ceiling's falling down and you got to like catch pieces and bring them together and whatever you end up left with is that's you that's what aligns with you and this process took me years so i really want to emphasize that this isn't like you get diagnosed january 9 and you're figuring this out like 10 months later years because we're practicing figuring it out. Maybe I was like, oh, well, I'm a stellar waitress. So that's my identity. I am just great at customer service. Um, well, and- can we be good at a thing without having to attach our identity to it, though? Well, that's the thing. So that's the challenge. Like, that's the piece that I I wanted to continually. Like, you know, when you're, like, trying something and you're like, hmm, that doesn't fit right like or you're just kind of like you got that feeling where like I don't know I'm close but like so I had that a lot um and that's when I kind of started to bury myself in some like personal development books because I felt like there was something so much bigger happening but I didn't have words for it um I definitely wasn't surrounding myself with people that were having these like higher level conversations um I wasn't hearing people talk about the stuff that I was struggling with. And um, I just felt like I, I saw a lot of people and I, I identify as empathetic. So I feel like when people are having a heavy emotion happening to them, I'm like, oh, I can feel you from like across the room. Are you okay? Right. So that's what I mean in empathetic. So I felt like it made me really sad to see so many people just like drinking their sorrows away and everyone's, you know, using their own, you know, numbing coping mechanism mine happened to be food right like i i wanted to eat like i'm sad i want ice cream (laughs) i want comfort let's eat pasta um and it made me so sad that people were struggling and i i would have these conversations with people and be like hey how are you you know like how are you feeling and i began to notice that like i can connect with people like i can make people feel safe just because i'm so vulnerable and i'm just so caring and I legitimately care so then I was like well okay like maybe my identity is then um my ability to connect with people like I'm just a natural connector and then when people wouldn't open up to me because of their own you know barriers or whatever right um I was like okay all right I give up like who am I then if I can't get everybody to open up to me um and so these personal development books really kind of started to force me to be a little more introspective so kind of looking at my own thoughts and it evoked this kind of bigger conversation um and like any book right you're high on the book until the book's done and then you're back to reality um so I just kept yearning for that something more that something longer lasting that something um that I was on the cusp for like I could feel it and then it was like when the books weren't doing it, I found personal development seminars. Whoa, you know, a hundred plus people that want to find themselves. Um, and then you find those connections with those people that are also looking. So it's really, you know, it really wasn't until I hired a life coach that just kept asking me, like, what do you want? 
And then I'd be like, well, my parents want me to do this. And I'm like, no, 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 no. What do you want? Well, I don't know. Because if I say what I want and I don't get it, then I'm going to be a failure. Right? So it's like, oh, man, we just need that one person to keep challenging us to remind us, like, actually, our worth isn't attached to anything. Like, our purpose is so much more vast and, you know, I can't even, nebulous. And it's just like, we're, we aren't attached to anything, you know? Like, we're, we're, our identity is just, it's our essence. I like and the that's way you, the thing that people don't understand. I like the way you put that, that our essence, because we have this essence and it's expressed through the body that we have it's expressed through our emotions and our words and that's these are all things that we begin to attach our identity to that when they don't look feel smell taste sound a certain way or things don't happen a certain way for us that's when we begin to look at our essence as damaged when it's not the case. It's just that the words that we use may be miscommunicated and our bodies may respond to things a different way than we would like for them to. So sometimes they change, they grow, they shrink, they do things that we don't want them to do. There are functions that are inconvenient for some people, but we tend to associate those natural things for the body that happened to the body and that just happens with miscommunication and such with being who we are. So like, even when we make a mistake, we become our mistake. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's so well said because our essence is like who we innately are. Like we don't actually have to try to be our essence. It's like when we can put our thoughts down, those negative beliefs, you know, when we can put um, those aside and just come from this, like, neutral place, like, that, that is our space, like, that is it. It's not something we have to try to be, it's just who we are. And um, it's, it's crazy because we don't know if we're crowded, if our mind is just flooded with all this negative stuff if we're so busy outwardly trying to find it or outwardly have people reflect to us and validate us. Um, I think that's a lot of why we feel inferior or insignificant or worthless if we're not in relationship because from a subconscious or because from a tiny place, you know, we're like, that's the only way to prove that we're worth anything. Like that's like societal's proof. Yeah. Like we need, someone else to tell us who we are is that kind of it when I when I got herpes it made me realize that like my belief was that I needed someone to love me for me which totally takes me out of being responsible of like learning how to love myself and it wouldn't work no matter who I was with right because um there's that quote out there that's like you know we only accept the love that we feel that we deserve and that we the to the way in which we love ourselves is the way in which we model for someone else to love us. So if we're not in a great relationship, is it because we don't model like how to treat 
like how we treat ourselves is how we want someone else to treat us. In a lot of cases, though, there may be people who don't know different, know better, or have the language, or even know that there's a kind of love out there that looks different than what you're used to in your environment. Absolutely. And that's the thing. Like, that's the thing that's so important is that, you know, like I was saying, um, I'm originally from the East Coast. I, I moved to San Diego by myself, but I, I never saw that exactly what you're saying. Like everybody in Pittsburgh, they're, you know, very similar. It's a working class, you know, it's just, you marry a high school sweetheart, you buy a house near where you grew up, you, you know, have the white picket fence, maybe if you can afford it and maybe you have kids. Um, so a hundred percent. And I, I don't know that it's ambition or drive or intuition that drove me, but I, I really just always wanted that more. And if you rely and wait for someone else to come around and show that to you, like you may wait a lifetime. If you don't know anybody else that's doing it, like be the one that does it. And the only way that you actually can do this, right, is again, what I'm pointing to is just becoming aware of like, what are your beliefs? What are your thoughts? What do you believe is possible? Like, what are you settling for? And I'm just so grateful that this thing was so excruciating, that herpes was such an excruciating experience that it really cracked me open and woke me up to be like, whoa, is this really how I want the rest of my life to go? Like, you know, I'm such a victim to what happens to me. Um, and when you say that out loud, you're just like, oh, fuck that. I don't want to be a victim. Ugh. Like, you know, and it's hard because we're the person that made it mean something at seven years old. We're the person that made it mean something the rest of our lives. We're the person that made up all those beliefs and thoughts based on how people treated us, our parents, our siblings, our first relationships, our 30th relationship. Um, and the very mind that made these things up, like can't undo it alone, right? Like that's why so many people find books or seminars. Um, and it took me, like, it feels like I got, I had to get supported by an army to actually make a difference, right? Like I hired a life coach and I was like, okay, this is amazing. Maybe I went through all this stuff because I was meant to give back in this way. I, I felt like so inherently wrong and filled with shame that I signed up for a 300 hour coach training program because I'm like, okay, cool. Let's clean out all my closets. Please. Thank you. Um, you know, I went, I moved into a two year women's soul recovery program because it was like something's seriously broken. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with me. <laughs> Fix me. And the therapist and all this stuff, right. To finally get back on my feet to be like, man, I needed that kind of, you know, love up and support to get me to remember like, no way I was never broken or wrong or, you know, all these terrible things that life made me think about myself. I just needed to take responsibility back, you know, take the control back, take the power back. And it took, it took work, <laughs> years. Mm -hmm. You mentioned looking at your beliefs, your values, and this resonates with me strongly because it took a lot of hindsight and introspection for me to realize what the beginning point was for me. And I just didn't have language. I didn't have the surroundings, the support around me of people who knew that I was going through anything or could put language to it. I just found myself in a different environment than what I was accustomed to. And the only thing that I had to really go off of to challenge 
my values and beliefs, which at this point in time weren't in place, were my behaviors. Jaden Smith tweeted something, um, and I only know about this because I was watching Donald Glover <laughs> interviews, and he mentioned that uh, he hangs out with Jaden Smith. He tweeted, look around and then you'll see. So he was just talking about these vague tweets that he has and how like enlightened he is. And that quote just kind of stands out because while we may not necessarily know what's going on within us, if we're able to look around us, then we can kind of see what's going on in us. Look at your behaviors. You can always trace your behaviors back to a thought, back to an emotion, back to a core belief. And then when you trace that thread back, you can kind of unknot the truth of all of that and reframe what your belief is. And just simple awareness of what you believe in accordance with your environment, your behaviors, your thoughts, your emotions, you can begin to have control over your behavior, which is going to naturally shift your thoughts, your emotions, your beliefs, if nothing else. And you can then begin to do things like put language to it or even look for the language to have so that you can label it, give it a name, and then decide what it is that you want to do with it. And then you can also go on to seek support. You can look for resources that are going to serve you in furthering your own personal development and figuring out the changes that you want to make and how you can go about making those. So I just wanted to make sure that I threw that in there for someone uh, who may have been listening and just been like, how do I, I don't know what's inside me. I don't know what my values are. I don't know what uh, my beliefs are. So look at the things that you do and begin to do things like write them down or you can even just ask people around you um, how they feel about you or what they think of you and get an idea of a starting point or even an ending point and then trace it back from there yeah that's so important and I think to like you know add more to that is walk before you run I think that we look at this place of being so broken or hurt or upset and devastated and we just want to be perfect overnight we just want to like make it go all the way now well that's what we want i mean why can't we have it right now you know we've got access to limitless information infinite information that can help us through wherever we are in life that is a normal thought to have like this should be something that i should be able to look at go oh shit i don't like this and then be able to make the change and i understand i'm completely um, live and prove that this does not happen immediately it doesn't happen overnight but the awareness of it allows for you to almost like project yourself into a space where you can just observe yourself in third person like, oh yeah we talked oh. about eating your emotions and an example for me i remember when i began looking at making a change with how i ate um I began to still eat whatever I was eating, but I would almost project myself like externally in the corner watching myself and I'd be eating and it's like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm eating. What am I thinking while I'm eating? Like, or I'd be like, what's that guy doing? What's that body doing with that food? Is it chewing? Is it just like just guzzling food? That's a lot of food on that plate. What's happening right now? What are the emotions that are being had? And then 
by the time I was done, I was able to objectively go, I didn't have to eat all of that food. I didn't have to eat now. I'm distracting myself from doing something that needs to be done. And then there's a whole like conversation to just kind of have with yourself about it and be like, okay, when I feel stressed or overwhelmed, I feel that I utilize that stress with eating or I cook something because that's a way of expressing creativity and just being able to uh, recognize the behaviors and where they're really stemming from. So that's a way that you can begin is just by being aware and noting, okay, when I do this, this is what I'm feeling and I would like to change that. So awareness itself is a step in the right direction. Oh yeah. I feel like, um, I don't know the metaphor to use, but it's kind of like, you know, metaphor just spreads like wild or metaphor um awareness spreads like wildfire you know like once you keep throwing some fuel on it or whatever like it'll just spread and spread and it's just it's really really great because then you can start to notice everywhere and there's a couple things right like you know as a coach I try to get people to think of like one tiny thing that they can focus on in a week right so like you're saying we can use your example of like eating like notice how I feel when I start eating one time this week you know or notice how I feel when I finish eating one time this week right so you're starting to flex and build that muscle a little bit at a time and making that little tiny part is practicing the compassion so the compassion was kind of what I was saying before like how come I don't understand this or how come I'm not better overnight it's like having the compassion will soften that need to like fix it overnight and the other piece that's really um I wanted to step back before we step forward as I literally was in the exact same place you had just talked about of like, what are my values or what are my beliefs? I didn't even know. Like I went online and was like, define values. Um, I don't know what those are. They were like math equations in high school. Um, and if you look like, it's like, you can even type like what are values or list of values. That's what I did list of values and I printed out four sheets of values and I looked at them and I just like read them and I'm like oh this is important and got it this one's important got it like I like this one and this one and this one and this one and I you know I ended up with like 20 or something and that felt really good to just read because I was like oh okay cool and um you know I definitely uh, I don't know that I did it for beliefs but it's a really cool, if you're lost and don't know, like, dig around. I mean, the internet's so useful in understanding language that you may not use regularly. And I remember when I first got diagnosed, I saw those, like, really beautiful memes on social media. And I'm like, oh, man, like, I wish I could talk that eloquently or, or graceful or inspiring. And it wasn't until like five years later or something that I posted someone, uh, uh, like something I was feeling. Someone was like, whoa, that was so inspirational. It's like, whoa, when we tap into ourselves, you know, like when we really just start to like look and just share our raw emotion, you know, that's inspirational because people are afraid to do that. Yeah. And you shared your raw emotion in front of 300 people saying I have herpes. You mentioned to me, while we may not have noticed this watching the speech, 
that there was something there. Even after having already done an episode on this podcast, after being an active member of the Herpes Activist Networking to Dismantle Stigma, even after being open and vocal about your experience on social media, standing in front of a room of 300 women and saying, I have herpes. How did that feel? Um, yeah. Um, I definitely had the practice. I started, like, once I had that uncomfortable conversation with my dad and realized, like, that opened up so much more that I realized, like, I didn't need his validation. Um, Can you give us a short version of that conversation? Just yeah, I know. I was like, well, I guess if you didn't listen to the podcast, but if you did. Um, so, essentially, I... I had gotten diagnosed. I went straight to my mom. My mom was like, oh, I have it too. You know, here's what to do. Um, Because I felt that like opening, like that that weight lift off my chest. I was like, oh, there's something here in the sharing. Like there was something that I made possible because I shared. So then I kind of was like, okay, well, maybe I tell my best friend. And then maybe I tell my other best friend. And every time I started telling people, I was lighter and lighter, you know, they started to meet me with like, oh, like I don't have herpes, but that reminds me of my, you know, autoimmune disorder that I'm like working with, you know, that reminds me of my experience with bipolar, um, you know, and I've had so many people because I was vulnerable and showed up raw and in my emotion, they felt safe to, to share their emotion. And I found so much magic in that. Like I found so much like intimacy, you know, this intimacy I thought, I didn't have words for right your kid like I just I wasn't craving sex I was actually craving intimacy but because I was mindlessly going into sex from an automatic or transactional place I wasn't finding it or it was fleeting because then you get off and you're done um and so I was sharing with friends and then it helped me practice sharing more and then I started practicing with strangers and then when I wanted to start dating I started like disclosing more inside of this, like, are they going to reject me or not? And I think just because of how much I was sharing and how much I've been practicing that I felt safe and good, like sharing to a loud, large audience. Like I felt like, because I can emotionally figure out where my feelings were coming from and where they were, where they originated you know, and what they were attached to, because I've done the processing, I stood up in front of 300 women. And I just looked at them, like, I just looked at them, like I had something that they needed to hear. And it was this total, like, I didn't get herpes as a punishment. I got herpes as a gift. And you can say that, and I and if you don't, if you haven't done the work, it's like, oh my God, shut up, this woman. No, but I can truly, because I've just come around, you know, I've really worked this experience. I can honestly and truthfully say that. And from that place, it wasn't about me sharing. It was about like, how can I provide like an access point and for other people to hear what's possible. And that was like my whole intention to do my part as a leader, to break the stigma, to do my part to get up there and make waves and, you know, um, 
when I started to share my story, right, I wanted to give the backdrop. I wanted to give people to see that it's not just about herpes. Um, and I like said it, like I was living my life, trying to do the American dream, do right by what, you know, everyone wanted of me. Uh, and then I got herpes. Like the whole audience like gasped and it, it took me back. Like it really, I was like, whoa, <laughs> I like heard it. Um, and I had to pause because it was like in that quick moment, those old beliefs of like, you know, oh my God, you just told 300 women you had herpes, um, slipped in, but I chose like, I chose that. No, no, no. Like I'm not letting that win. Like that took practice. Right. And I kept going. Um, and then when I shared my part of my story where my mom had it and the whole audience gasped again, I was like, ah, that right there, like that, that's the stigma. That is the stigma. Like, that's what I'm talking about. And I, I didn't want to get on this high horse, but I wanted people to feel that. And I wasn't prepared for that. So I really was internally conflicted of like which way to go and pivot, but there's so much more, right? Like there could have been compassion in that noise. There could have been like, like understanding and seeing and feeling me in that noise. And we don't know for other people, but like, that was the first thing that popped up of just like, ah, oh, man, that's what that stigma feels like sometimes. Mm. And working through it, you mentioned that there were several access points and I'm kind of giving you an opportunity here to cover those few things that we know that you wanted to go more into. But when we talked about your speech beforehand, you mentioned that you wanted this to be something that people felt like they were being guided through their own experiences with. So as these women sat in their chairs while you told your story, you were kind of taking them, holding their hands, showing them yours and how it could parallel with whatever their story is. So we're going through relationship with father. We're talking about relationship to sexuality or relationships. And then we're talking about connection to your body and then you go into the Catholic shame and the, the name of it was healing shame as well. So um, I mentioned that just to set the stage for these two stories, yours and theirs, being able to parallel. And we mainly covered the herpes and the relationship to your father. But what were the other pieces that you wanted to give people access points to so that we can take listeners on that same walk? Yes. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah. When I had that second gasp, um, it did derail me. Like that's, that's the humanity in it that even though I've done so much work, it really, um, derailed the direction in which I was heading and had practiced. And, um, there were so many things I did leave out because I, I got a little flustered and, you know, it's really challenging to put five plus years of work in a 20 minute speech. But I think that the thing that's really great is that because I was willing to look at like the first immediate connection, like the deepest one and the hardest one to tell was my dad. Okay. Let's get curious about that. Right. So if you have a diagnosis and you just got tested positive, you know, who's that first person that you would be the worst or most terrified to disclose to and kind of get curious, you know, and getting curious is just asking myself, asking yourself, how come, how come I'm absolutely terrified to tell this person? 
how come, how come? Just keep asking, you know, like you can ask yourself six times, you know, what would happen if I told that person? What am I afraid of what would happen? Um, any questions, right? Just asking yourself questions. And if you can't do it out loud, like do it on a journal or a piece of paper and then you can burn it after, who cares? Um, so it's really just a matter of getting curious and don't stop at your first answer. Most of the time, like that lizard brain or that survival mechanism is like, I don't know, I don't know. It's a barrier, don't go there, big red sign, don't go there. It's a fraud, <laughs> it's like not real, go there, you know? And that's how we really work this stuff. Um, so that's kind of like that first baby step, that intro level. Um, if you have a close friend, like bring this kind of conversation to them. And you don't need to make it about herpes if you're not safe or whatever your positive diagnosis is. Um, you know, maybe it's religion. Like, hey, what are your beliefs about religion? Hey, I know you don't believe about God either. You know, like, how come, right? I've turned my back on God because I thought God did this to me. I thought this was my punishment. I was sinning. I kept sinning. And God was like, mm -hmm. okay, you want to keep sinning? You want to you keep sinning? Here's, here's this. Enjoy, right? So that's how come I turned my back. Because I wasn't getting the attention from my dad, um, I thought that I had to earn it. Like, I thought that that was like a forever game. Like, I thought that was my entire relationship with my dad. Um, and when I let go of that, it was kind of like, but what if I don't want to date men, actually? What if I was only wanting to date men because that's what my dad told me I was supposed to do? Um, and only in that kind of freedom of like, I don't need to validate or prove myself to anyone, be validated or prove myself to anyone. Um, and I don't have to live my life on anyone's terms. Like, how do I want to live it? Um, I remember my wardrobe. I had clothes for every type of person. If I wanted to be a spiritual person, like I had all my yoga outfits and all my spiritual clothes here with the mandalas on it, right? If I wanted to be that stuffy looking stiff professional, had all those super professional outfits here. And then I had, you know, and you could just keep going because I didn't know who I was, right? Like, look at your closet. And then when I really started to tap into this, right, when you really start to, like, give yourself permission to be whoever you want, I dress super quirky. Like, I love those big high-waisted skirts. You know, I love the silly frames. Like, I love just, like, I used to hate my curls because everybody had straight hair. Now I'm like, I don't even care that they look so disorganized and chaotic. Um, and it's just great. Like, now my closet is just so uniquely my own, and that's so amazing. So... It's just giving yourself permission, like having per compassion. And um, it's a lot of forgiveness. It's a lot of like forgiving who I had to be, who I was to get through it all, like who I thought I needed to be, to be okay with what was happening. And it's so, there's so many layers and there's no wrong way to do this. Like whatever is that first step that feels safe um, to just take that and trust that. And it's, like learning how to trust yourself all over again. And um, it's so easy to want to compare. And that's just such a booby trap. <laughs> it's so, you know, people won't understand you almost until you like understand yourself. And if we're really craving that intimate connection, it's available when we are vulnerable. And it's not just reserved for partners. It's, you know, it can be anywhere with everyone. And it really starts with yourself more that you can intimately understand yourself and um, 
you know, don't wait for your surroundings to change. It's almost like change them when you're ready. All right. <laughs> that was beautifully said. Um, you questioned whether or not you even wanted to be with men. And I bring this up because it's very common when I talk to people who are living with herpes, and this is behind the scenes, of course, um, in private conversations, that there tends to be more exploration in our sexuality. And while, you know, it comes down to our identities being so tightly intertwined with our sexuality, it's like once we don't know ourselves anymore, like I, I want to be able to re connect this to an understanding of sexuality in terms of us just being aware of it because we will mindlessly use sex or not necessarily have our own closet for ourselves you know metaphorically going through what you said like, oh, like you had that. outfits for every event partner person that you were going to be around and so what happens when now we think that we have to just be with ourselves so our closets essentially just go black because we think no one's gonna I'm, I'm isolated now this is the club i belong to club one and it's just me so now what i'm uh what i'm trying to get at is that it's okay to be able to like downsize your closet the stuff that doesn't fit you you can get rid of it the outfits that you don't like to wear get rid of those and again like metaphorically i'm saying this in a way for you to get rid of the things that you don't want or need sexually have you had bad sex with partners that you've just tolerated because it was available to you you don't need that anymore get rid of that outfit if you've been with a man and you actually like being with a woman then get that out of your closet if you haven't been able to use sex toys during sex then maybe get rid of the idea that you have to settle for that kind of an outfit where you're gonna have to be someone who doesn't use sex toys during sex so explore these kinds of things and allow yourself space to figure out what works for you and then wear that outfit and buy get multiple versions of it allow yourself to get comfortable with it because if there are things in the past that just have not worked for you why would you continue to do those things love that too because it really a great starting point is like how you feel emotionally about it right like if it's well take the sex part you know if you can practice being vulnerable outside of a sexual setting you know like I always I always bring this up and it's so ridiculous but I can't help it like if you can go and tell someone like man I haven't had a bowel movement in three days and they respond with like oh have you tried this or like oh man i get that way sometimes like those are your people right if they're like ew gross god okay don't take it to those people but we have to like start practicing baby steps of like how can we be vulnerable because for me sex was always a tricky tricky place like my first experience felt a little rapey right so even though i said no because I got nervous and freaked out, like it was like disregarded. So a lot of it becomes like 
how we've experienced sex, like how we've experienced it becomes like how we believe it is like this will be like, so my voice doesn't matter during sex. Right. And then that's how I continue to have sex for, you know, 15 to 20, probably. So five years, I felt like my voice didn't matter because one person just ignored my no. Right. So I, that was a, you, if you would have told me like talk in the bedroom and tell somebody what you want. No, mm -mm, that's not going to happen. So I want to just emphasize, like, if that's you, right, this resonates, like you're scared to be like, hi, I want a giant dildo. Um, can you go get that for me? Like maybe you start practicing asking like, Hey, can you pass me the butter? No, hey, can you butter my toast? And like, it's baby steps. Like, we gotta, gotta, like, really, I wanna emphasize that. Because, um, yes, it sounds great to have a safe bedroom environment when you can switch it up. But, like, we, you know, that over in the night thing, um, I mean, it took me my whole life to finally feel safe enough with one partner, you know, and enough to be like, hey, maybe I don't like that. Hey, maybe I do like that. Hey, can you try this, right? And that is kind of like, if the more we're vulnerable, the more we set the tone for other people to feel safe and being vulnerable. And so it's not a reactive, like, oh, you want a dildo? Like, what, is it, what are you making that mean about me? Oh, you don't like mine? You don't like, you know, mine's not okay? Mine's not, you know? So um, I really wanna emphasize that because I think that's super important. And kind of like what you were saying, right? Like if you don't feel safe, a certain kind of environment with a person maybe it's a certain type of person switch it up try a different person maybe it's a certain type of sex like switch it up you know there's um i feel like sexuality is so much more fluid and open these days you're in a good time to be explorative i know there's so many places you different directions you can go with all that <laughs> there were several things that you mentioned one big piece of that was you mentioned that your first sexual experience felt a bit rapey and then moving on from there you kind of thought that that was how all of your experiences had to be this in combination with the programming you received of what it meant like you have to get a partner you have to be with a man you have to be with someone that's going to give you a family and have children those two things paired together allowed for you to think that these continued rapey experiences were okay and it took for you to find your voice have this awareness understand what you liked in order to break free from those two things because it's two things you were constantly having the same sexual experience from your first one because you thought that that's what normal was and you had to redefine what that normal was and also identify that that's not you having sex that's structural cultural beliefs that have been passed down to you having sex through you and when you begin to claim that essence and be, you know, reconnect with yourself, who you are, then you can begin to dissolve that shit and be like, well, that was really rapey. I didn't like that. And I'm going to now vocalize what it is that I like. And in doing so, there may be, there will be fear of 
losing the people around you because I'm going to just make this wild guess that the people around you also that thought that that's just how things were. That was just how you did things. And so we fear losing the people around us that not only enable, perpetuate the beliefs that are operating through us, but they're also the ones who are comfortable with it. They're also the ones that are keeping you from being able to express yourself. And that raw vulnerability, the expression of that is so powerful that it will send certain people away from you, but it's also going to attract raw vulnerability. I talked to this, uh, I talked, I spoke to this more uh, with someone, with our last Mm -hmm. podcast guest on episode 100, and we just talked about how there will be people who make an effort to dim your light, or I'm sorry, you'll dim your own light in order for others to be comfortable around it uh, because they don't, they choose not to wear sunglasses. And taking that a step further, I want to say that once you begin to really glow and find your light and shine that light, you send out a signal. Like, it's bright enough to where others who are glowing are able to find you and look and see that glow and be like, oh, what's happening over there? Like, and it doesn't matter how you look. It doesn't matter what you have. All that matters is that light because that light essentially is the essence of you that's your identity our identities are ourselves that's who we are we are just us so don't feel a need to identify with a label identify as the identity that can choose to step into whatever space it chooses to when it chooses to so i like to dance but I'm not a dancer. That's not where my identity is. I'm just a human and being a human, I just gave myself an identity, but uh, that's for the most part, that's where I reside in this human form. But I do things. I like to do things. Therefore, these are things that I just I like to do. And if I were to identify with things, it would be the things that are more so in alignment with my behaviors and beliefs consistently. Um, it hit really close to home when you said earlier that you were a connector. I am most happy when I feel connected. When I feel connected, I'm, I'm connecting when others are feeling connected to me. And so I encourage people to look to things like that, where I know that I spend a lot of time on this podcast. I spend a lot of time on social media looking for content that uplifts people and empowers them and allows for them to feel seen heard and connected to so i identify with the consistent behaviors of those things which is connecting so you can also do that as well but you'll have to take that risk of cutting the cord from those around you and i mean don't feel bad because you're a people pleaser and You feel guilty for having to cut the cord to disturb someone else's discomfort. People cut the cord themselves. When you are so focused on your own self-discovery, people, you don't push people away. People just politely make their way out of your life. 
I have actually experienced that and I remember that. Like, so if you have friends that you just like, do my days suck so bad, here's all the reasons. And they're like, oh, you think that's bad? Here's how my day, right? Like if you're like colluding with your friends, like if all you do is talk about gossip, negativity, complain, right? Like you're, it's gonna seem impossible to have positivity in your life if that's who you're surrounded by. When I moved from Pittsburgh to San Diego and I was like, the sun is shining, life is amazing and people are smiling and people, my, my, my friends would call me and just want to complain. And I'd be like, then why do you keep doing it? You know, like instead of just listening and then switching turns on who's complaining, I'd be like, how come you don't do anything about it? Like, how come right? And suddenly it was like, people called me less and less. Like I had people, I would post inspirational stuff and I had people like private message me, like, dude, quit it with all your shit, you know? And it's like, actually, you can just delete me, you know? Or like, I would have people comment from home, my hometown of like negativity. Like, what is this? What are you, uh, you know? And um, it's just like, okay, bye. So natural, like, what is it? just like, it'll naturally just shut off. Um, and also you have to choose to like surround yourself by those people. Um, and I really think that that's super important. And the other piece I wanted to add um, because I went through the coach training program, because I was trained and I do this for others, my essence is empathy, it's exuberance, it's authenticity, it's charisma, it's wisdom. And there's so much more profound than the labels that everyone uses and throws around, right? Like, I don't have to be trying to be exuberance I just am it's a being it's my sense of being like it's just what oozes out of me when I'm not even trying you know um and that's what I want to like have you kind of take away or challenge or like listen to right like my my life purpose is, is love so if I evoke love if I share love if people you know feel love when they're around me like I'm I'm being my life purpose. It's not something that like, I have to make a hundred thousand dollars a year. That's my life purpose, right? Like it's not tangible. It's not attached to anything like, and it's not like hard. If I just choose love instead of fear, oh, I'm being my life purpose. So I really want to like anchor that. I want to anchor that as like something that maybe and sounds so nebulous but can you hear that that's not actually attached to anything? I don't know. It sounds pretty attached to the nebula. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I think and I'm taking it back to Childish Gambino. Uh, one of his song lyrics is, uh, man is a star bound to a body. And as arrogant as this may sound, like I choose to identify as that as star, you know, just much more than a human. And stars are made up all this gaseous dust and shit that we may not even know what to label it as. But stardust, stardust sounds cool, and it can be whatever you mold it as. So it can be exuberance, it can be wisdom, it can be connectedness, it can be transparency. It can be evolution, liberation, peace. It can be whatever the fuck you want it to be. And 
we're given our form, we have form, our bodies and vehicles for expression in order to bring to life that for others to be able to lure them into the realization of their own being. So with that all said, you know, find yourself, break the, allow others to just make their way out of your life if need be. You know, if that's what they choose to do, but you have to make the conscious choice to be yourself. Yeah, and I just feel like don't, um, don't settle for less than you deserve. And like that takes practice. Uh, that takes practice because you, if you're the type of person that goes out to a restaurant and hates what you're eating. And then you're just like, oh, whatever. Like, I don't want to, I'll just keep eating it. Right? Like, take that back. Take that back. Like, practice there and be like, hey, I'm sorry. I never do this. It makes you so uncomfortable. But I actually hate this. Like, I think it's awful. Right? Like, just practice there. Because the more that we can practice there, we can take a relationship where we're 90% in love with the person and be like, but I want to be 100% in love with all of that person. Right? And and dare to like trust to like that that will happen like if you take all those clothes out of your closet you might be surprised that your friend be like hey do you want this it actually makes me think of you i was going to donate it and like like it'll appear it'll appear right like i left the most perfect relationship with like the man of my dreams because there was that 10 percent, you know and because i trusted like i found the healthiest and most beautiful relationships and because they weren't a hundred percent, right? Like I continue to find closer and closer to that, you know, it's just trust. It's just all, all of this takes practice. It takes awareness. It takes baby steps. It takes compassion. It takes understanding your emotional landscape. It takes processing and it takes community. Like it takes support. Beautifully said, Clarice. That concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please like, rate, review, share this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. That and donations really help us keep moving forward. There is an event coming up soon, STD Engage 2019. I'll be in Alexandria, Virginia, recording some live podcasts in front of several public health professionals uh, the event to get is put together by the National Coalition of STD Directors. I uh, will hopefully have an opportunity to get some funding. And my bigger picture goal for something positive for positive people is to be able to travel to the guests. And that will allow for us to have much better sound quality, better connections and conversations, as well as being able to get into these organizations around the world and be able to have this be a tool that is given to people after their diagnosis. I want to thank Waxo for their ongoing support of the podcast. Please go and visit the website online. It's an online LGBT friendly magazine that also goes into topics such as STIs, which is part of one of the very few places that allows for me to talk about the content on this podcast. Till next time, stay sex positive.